Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. This morning I want to start in John chapter 8 verse 32. John chapter 8 verse 32. It's up there. All right. All right. This verse says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Many of us have heard this verse before. One of the things that I've realized from reading the verse today is we always focus on verse 32 and sometimes we lose sight of verse 31. So let's go back to verse 31 and then we're going to read 31 and 32 together. It says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if, if you abide, if you continue in my word, you prove to me to be my disciples, verse 32, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So knowing the truth is not a given, knowing the truth is not automatic. The Bible says, if you continue in my word, then you will know the truth. That's right. It also says, if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciple. Actually, my translation says, then you will truly be my disciple, which implies there's some people that think they're disciples. There's some people that pretend to be disciples, that act like disciples. But the Bible says, if you continue in my word, then you will truly be my disciple. So there are true disciples, and then there's other people. The other thing that I want to call out, and this is, this is not the message, this is um, a, an introduction to the message or a preface to the message. The other thing I want to call is the Bible says you will know the truth. God has not called you to be confused. God has not called you to be lost. God has not called you to not know your way. I'm going to say that again because in this world, we assume that being lost is normal, that being confused is normal, that darkness and chaos are normal because it's all around us. So I'm going to say it again. God wants you to know the truth. He wants you to know the way. He doesn't want you to be lost or confused. If you abide in his word, you will know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. So today we're going to get into God's word. And if you let that word abide in you, that means if when you leave, that word stays in you. The Bible says meditate on God's word day and night. So it's not something we just hear in church. It's something we take with us. It's something we keep inside of us. We guard in our heart and in our mind. The Bible says if you take the word of God that you're going to receive today and it abides and it remains in you, if it lives inside of you, you're going to be set free. So... Let's get into God's word. Let's go to Luke 22, sorry, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. God's word is going to set you free today. The Bible says, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. God's going to set you free. Listen to this. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or about your body, what you'll wear. Verse, let's, and, and then let's just run through the verses. Verse 23. 
For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. 24. Consider the ravens, the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap. They don't gather to, into storerooms or barns, yet God feeds them. Who's feeding the birds? God is. How much more valuable are you than these birds? So, this world teaches us to think a certain way, to worry about what we're going to eat, drink, and wear, because we have to fend for ourselves. But God's truth says, don't worry about any of that. I take care of the birds, and you are much more valuable to me than they are. Verse 25. By the way, which one of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Most of us worry about things we can't change. Say that again, because the truth is going to set you free. Most of us worry about things that we can't change. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? 26. Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't, lawyer, they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed as these. That means the glory that you're going to receive in this earth is not going to be based on your labor. The accomplishments that you may have in this life, God doesn't want you to depend on your strength, your wit, or your wisdom. The Bible says God clothes the lilies of the field. And verse 28, he says, if that's how God clothes the grass, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and tomorrow's thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will drink or what you will, uh, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink and don't worry about it. 30. For the pagan world those that don't know God run after what they're going to eat, drink, and wear. Those who don't know God set their heart, their mind, their concerns on these things. But your father, you have a father who knows you need these things. Verse 30, 31. So if we're not, listen to how God sets us free. If we're not supposed to worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, and that's not what life's about, then what is life about? Seek first the kingdom, and these things will be added. Seek first the kingdom of God, another translation says, and these things will be added. God knows you need them. God is not going to leave you naked. He's not going to leave you hungry. He knows what you need because he's a good father. And he's going to add to you everything you need, but God wants you to be about his priorities. And all of these things will be added unto you. 32. Do not fear. Again, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We walk in worry. We walk in fear. The Bible says, do not fear. It's your father's good pleasure. It pleases God to give you the kingdom. Listen, God wants to give you the kingdom. 
I'm not talking to the pastor. Pastor knows this. I'm not talking to the Sunday school teacher. They know this. I'm talking to all of you. God wants to give you the kingdom in your home, in your business, in your relationship with your wife, in your relationship with your family and with your coworkers. God wants to give you his kingdom. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Fear not. God wants to give you his kingdom. Verse 33. Uh, actually, I was thinking of Matthew 33, so we, we're not going there. That's, that, that goes on. Um, we were stopping at 32. So let me summarize. We've read Luke 12, 22 through 33. And we've said that the truth will set you free. Here's the truth. God doesn't want you to worry about your life. Shocking. That's a revelation. God, let me say it differently, because we're Christian, we're spiritual. It's not God's will for you to worry. You want to know God's will? Pastor likes to say, sometimes it's easier to know God's will by identifying what it's not. It's not God's will for you to worry. So if you're worrying, that's not what God wants you to do. Stop. Stop it. Stop worrying. God doesn't want you to do it. And every time you start to worry, the Bible says this, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because I'm telling you this now, but like I said, it has to abide in you because you're going to walk out of here and you're going to start to worry because that's what many of the issues of this life bring us to do is to worry. So that's why this word has to abide in you. It's not enough to hear it. You need to take this word and say, I know this is God and I'm not going to let this go. And so as you walk out of here, you hold on to this word and say, God, I know your word says not to worry. So every time my thought patterns, the way I've trained myself to think, the, the perspective I have on life, how many of you know someone who everything that happens to them is bad? They're going on, I mean, some people are coming to mind. I'm holding myself back. But you take them on vacation and they're complaining about the valet service. You take them to a restaurant, a wonderful restaurant, and they're complaining about the food that was served or the lighting and so we have sometimes the wrong perspective and even blessings we're unable to enjoy. So we say, God, teach me not to worry. Remind me. You're going to have a, an inclination uh, and, and a habit formed of worry and concern. Whenever that happens, the Bible instructs you, stop. Take that thought captive because that's not God's will. That is not God's will. And if you're burdened by worry, the Bible says you won't be free. It says God's word will be choked. God's word wants to bear fruit in you. But if you're worried, the Bible says that chokes the word. And so God wants to set you free from worry. God is going to take care of it. That's what his word says. God is going to take care of it. It's not God's will for you to worry. That's the first thing we heard. Second thing we heard, he's going to take care of you. And the third thing we heard is, if it's not God's will for us to worry, then what is God's will? That we seek his kingdom. That we seek first his kingdom. So today, you know God's will for your life. 
You may not know it in detail because that's a very general statement. Seek God's will or seek God's kingdom. What does that mean? Well, let's just, before we get into the details, let's talk about big picture. Big picture. Don't worry. So what do I do? Seek God's kingdom first. And all these things will be added. So God's will is that you seek his kingdom. What does it mean? Okay, God's will is to seek his kingdom. What does it mean to seek his kingdom? Well, Jesus was asked, what is the most important priority in the kingdom? So when we talk about seeking the kingdom of God, we talk about seeking God's priorities. What is important to God? How does God want things done? Let's say it differently. What does God want to happen? How does he want it to happen? What are God's priorities? Seeking God's kingdom means seeking his priorities, seeking his heart. What's important to God? That's what we're to seek after. And they asked Jesus the same thing. When I say seek God's kingdom, I'm not implying that you know what that is. I'm just implying that's the question that we have to ask. I'm not, and they asked Jesus the same question. What is the most important priority in the kingdom? Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40. Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Jesus was asked the same question. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great, another translation says, the greatest. What is the greatest commandment? What is the top priority? If I want to seek your kingdom, what's the top priority? Verse 37. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Priority number one, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? First of all, it's to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, or with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love God with everything. Priority number one. Now watch this. They asked him for one, but there was a BOGO offer in this city that day. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, verse 38. And the bogo, the second one is free. This is the first and great commandment, verse 39. And the second is like it. They didn't ask him for a second one. But the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. On these two commandments, for those of you who are overwhelmed with the size of the Bible, with the number of pages and the number of words, Jesus just summarized on these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. So when we say, what are, seek God's kingdom, you just heard his top two priorities. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself because all the commandments and the prophets, all the teachings up until now hang on these two commandments. So let's take a step back. What have we heard? The kingdom of God. The top priority in the kingdom of God is relationships. I'm going to say that again. Because we're busy. We got 
so many things distracting us, we can miss this. The kingdom of God, the top priority is relationships. Lord, what's your top priority? What's the greatest commandment? He said, your relationship with me. And my second priority, even though you didn't ask, my second priority is like the first one, your relationship with those around you. God's priorities are relationships. The kingdom of God is about relationships. Number one, your relationship with God. And number two, your relationship with others. Your relationship with God is what allows you to bless others. Your relationship with God is what teaches you how to deny yourself, how not to live for yourself, but to bless the people that you have around you. Even if it's sacrificial, even if it means death, that's what God did for us. We're going to get into that a little more. But now you know that God doesn't want you to worry. He wants you to seek his kingdom, and his kingdom is about relationships. So when you wake up in the morning, what's most important? My relationship with God. What's number two? My relationship with my neighbor. Who's my neighbor, Lord? The people you have around you. If you're married, your wife. If you have kids, your kids and your wife. If the people at work, your, your physical neighbors. If you're a son and you're not, if, let's say you're not married, you're a son, your parents, your friends, your pastors, the people you have around you. Who's your neighbor? The people you have around you. Your closest neighbor is your next door neighbors, right? The people closest to you. Then, but then you have a neighbor that lives down the block. He's still your neighbor, right? But, but, but he's not your next door neighbor. So who's your neighbor? It's the people you have around you. Who's your closest neighbor? The person you have closest to you. So now, who's your neighbor? I don't know who's closest to you. In my case, it's my wife, then my kids. Then it's my family and my pastors. And the people in my, in my group, my men's group. Those are the people I have around me and the people I've been fellowshipping with growing up in the Lord, growing out in the Lord <laughs> for 20 some odd years now. So who, two priorities, God, your relationship with God. You can boil it down. We need to boil it down because life throws so many things at us that it, it can get blurry. We can get busy and we need to be able to break it, go back down to the most basic. My mind only works on one thing at a time. My wife can do a few more than that. I can only do one thing at a time. I got, you got to break it down for me. Number one, what does God want? Number two, now that I know how God wants things done, how to love, how can I bless the people around me? How can I be a blessing to my wife? How can I be a blessing to my kids? How can I be a blessing to the church? How can I be a blessing at work? How can I shine a light? How can I be there at a time of need? So those are the, God's top two priorities, the only things he, he wants you to worry about. Matter of fact, there was a lady in the Bible, we're not going to read about it, but there was a lady in the Bible that was busy with much serving. She was serving in the house of God. And Jesus said, you're worried, you're, you're, you're worried about too many things. 
Just one thing is necessary. You missed it, but your sister, I don't remember, it was Mary and Martha, I don't know, were they sisters, Mary and Martha? And this, okay, so your sister got it, okay? She's sitting, she's only worried about her relationship with me. She's at my feet. And, and by the way, if you hang out with God, it doesn't, you don't retreat, you don't draw back from other people. If you hang out with God, what you learn is that God is, you learn what God wants, and what God wants is for you to lay down your life for others. And so you hang out with God, he puts his love inside of you, he puts his priorities in your heart, he teaches you how to think like he thinks, and when you do that, you find out his concern was you, and now that he's got you, his concern is the one you have next to you. To save the lost, and then once they're saved, to draw them closer and closer to him, to grow, to mature. Part of maturity means you're able to have take care of yourself and then you're able to take care of others. And then you're able to guide others. Eventually, the Bible says, and this is maturity, you're able to teach those who can teach those who are going to be able to teach others. So maturity is being able to bless, to bless others in greater and greater degrees. God, that's what God wants to bring you to do. Draw you near to him so he can f make you like his son. So then you can go do what his son did. And all of that sounds very abstract. So I bring it back to what Jesus did was love God. And he loved his neighbor. The most important things in your life are relationships. Yes. Absolutely. You will know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. Amen. By the way, we find often when we look at priorities that sometimes our time, sometimes our devotion, Sometimes our effort, it doesn't align with our priorities, and we have to realign our life. We say, what's your priority? And you say, well, it's this. My relationships are, with God are a priority. My relationship with my wife is a priority. But then you look at your life, and it doesn't reflect that. Okay, well, that's why we're taking some time to bring this to mind, because God calls us, the Bible says every day his mercies are new. His mercies are new every morning. So God has mercy on us, shows us the truth, sets us free so we can start over. Thank God for the cross. Thank God that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. It means we can count on it. We can take it to the bank. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So if we're out of line, we have the opportunity to realign and say, God, I repent. I lost my way. My, or maybe there's certain areas in my life that are out of alignment with your priorities. I want to align myself with you. And so you can repent today. And you can say, God, I'm aligning myself with your priorities. Not going to worry. <coughs> 
I'm going to put your thing, I'm going to put first things first, the way you're teaching me to do. And God is faithful to do that, to instruct us. John 15, 13. So if the greatest commandment is to love, how do we do this? How does one love? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. We can stay on verse 13. Hmm? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. How do we love? What is this? How do I do this? What does this look like? The Bible says, no greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. So number one, if I'm loving God with all my heart, if I'm loving God with everything, that means I'm laying down my life for him. I'm laying down my life for God. Whatever I wanted to do, whatever I consider my life to be, Lord, I'm laying it down. That's what it means. What does it mean to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, or with all your heart? It means to lay down your life. That's what he did for us. Love God with everything. What's everything? Your whole life. What does that mean? It means what it says. Love God with all your heart, with your whole life. And then, by the way, I'm using this verse for two purposes. Jesus was actually talking about how we're supposed to love others. I'm using it because it helps to us to understand that how do you measure love? So whether it's love for God or whether it's love, whether it's love from man to God, whether it's love from God towards man or whether it's our love towards our neighbor, no greater love has a man that he laid down his life for the one he loves. That's what Jesus did. God laid down his only begotten son, which might be, I don't know, we'll have to ask God how those compare. I won't dare to, I'm not a theologian, I won't dare to get into that. But God laid down his only son, his perfect son. Jesus laid down his own life. And then he says, no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. So God is calling you to live for him. And God is calling you to live for others. Who's the only one that's not in here? You. What's God's will? It ain't you, brother. Whatever it is, it ain't you. Your life is not about you. Your life is about the goodness of God, the love of God, towards your life and towards others. And God's going to pour into your life so that you can bless others. Amen. More on the kingdom of God and relationships in John 15. John 15, 1. John 15, 1. I am the true vine. So Jesus is the vine. My father, so we got the vine, which is Jesus. My father, the vine dresser, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3. 
You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken in you. Verse 4. Abide in me. Again, the relationship. Remain in close fellowship with me, with Jesus. Abide with God. Live, walk with God. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, you're the branch, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Have you ever seen a vine bearing, that's cut off from the, have you ever seen a branch that's cut off from the vine bearing fruit? What happens to a vine that gets cut off, a branch that gets cut from the vine? No fruit. It dries and dies. And then they throw it into the fire. Abide in me. Remain close, connected in my, your relationship with me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, you can't do anything on your own. As the bench, branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you walk with me. Unless we're close. Unless you feel my heartbeat. Unless you hear my voice. You can't do anything. Verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, closely connected with God. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. When we're far from God, we're nothing but trouble. When we're far from God, we're nothing but trouble. And we find nothing but trouble and life is nothing but trouble. Without me, you can do nothing. That should really say nothing good, because I think we're going to do a lot of bad. But I'm not going to edit this thing. Verse 6. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. You know, when you, what do you, take a look up here. What do you see? You might see me. You might see, let's say, just, just say you're looking at me and you see me. None of you said, I see an arm. I see a leg, I see an ear. All of you said, I see a guy, I see the preacher. If I were to cut off my arm and throw it over there, and I said, what do you see over there? You'd say, I see an arm. As long as we're connected with God, people are going to look at you and they're not going to see you. They're going to see God. They're going to see the life of God, the goodness of God, the peace of God, the glory of God, is going to be on your life as long as you're connected to the vine. You cut that vine off. You separate yourself from God. You look over there, you're going to see an arm that starts rotting. You're going to see a branch that's withering. And if it doesn't get connected quick, it's going to die. So God wants you to stay close to him. When you do that, they're not going to see you. Your life is not going to be about you. They're going to see God. And we've already talked about what happens when you're far from God. It says, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather, they gather them, throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We're going to go... To verse through to verse 11. 
verse 8, it, these things I've spoken to you that, that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. You know, when we're close to God, when God's word abides in us, our joy is made full. Our joy, our life overflows with his joy. Not because of what's going on around us, not because life is perfect, because we're connected to God. The Bible says, his, your joy is made full, verse 12. This is my commandment. Oh, did I go past where I wanted to go? I don't want to go there yet. Sorry about that. You were right, verse 11. So I'm going to break this down. Let's try this. I'm going to break this down with the verses. Let's see if they, you guys can keep up back there. In this story, we have the vine, the vine dresser, and the branch. The vine is Jesus. The vine dresser is the Father or God, and the branch is us or is you. In verse 8, in verse 8, it says, The Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. God expects you to bear fruit. God's will for your life is that you bear much fruit and prove. Another translation says that you, if you bear much fruit, you'll prove to be my disciples. So God's will is that your life bears fruit. Verse 2, don't, don't flip through the verse, it's going to take too long. Verse 8 says, the Father's glorified that we bear much fruit. Verse 2 says, we're expected to bear fruit. Verse 2 says, there's consequences to not bearing fruit. God doesn't take this lightly. And life is not about you. The Bible says, he prunes every branch to bear more fruit. And he cuts away, verse 6 speaks about judgment. He cuts away every branch that doesn't bear fruit. And he, it gets thrown into the fire, the Bible says. So God is faithful to come to our life. If we walk with God, the Bible says he forgives us, gives us a new start, gives us his spirit, gives us every blessing. The Bible says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God gives us everything. But he also expects us to bear fruit. And the Bible says the branch that doesn't bear fruit is going to be cut off. And it's going to be thrown into the fire. So there's going to be judgment. We don't talk about that a lot. And the truth of the matter is Jesus didn't spend, Jesus didn't overemphasize judgment. But he did teach on it very clearly. God expects fruit. There will be a judgment. It's appointed to every man to die once. Then judgment. We will stand before the King of Kings. We're going to stand before the Lord of Lords. And the Bible says, He's not going to condemn us. We stand condemned by our own actions when we reject the goodness of God. If the goodness of God is not enough, to bring you on board, nothing is. You have, he has to get rid of you because if his love is not enough, if his goodness 
which has no measure, no limit, if that's not enough to bring you on board, he knows nothing is. So there is, here's what I'm saying, not only it's God's will that you bear fruit, not only it's God's will that there is the produce, the result, the, the, the result of God's word in your life, but there's consequences when that doesn't happen, when that doesn't take, when that doesn't come forth. So God expects us to bear fruit. He judges, he cuts away, he burns that which doesn't bear fruit, and that which does bear fruit, he prunes to bear more fruit. That means you're never done until you go home to be with the Lord. No, no place for complacency. If you think you're there, brother, you're not there. Um, brother Paul Lodato likes to say, those who don't, the, he likes to say about this verse, he says, every tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut off, and every tree that bears fruit is pruned, that it may bear more fruit. And so he likes to say, either way, you're going to get a cut. All right? You're either going to be cut off or cut to bear more fruit. There's no place for complacency. God is looking for you to grow, and then he's going to come into your life and take out the areas of your life that are holding you down, that are stifling your growth. He's going to cut them, and cutting hurts, that you may bear more fruit. And then when you bear more fruit, he's going to come in, and he's going to continue pruning that you may bear more and more and more fruit, stronger and stronger, providing you know, the tree doesn't eat from its own fruit. The tree gives shade and provision, to, gives to the birds, to the beasts, to the men that live under the, and, and to the, 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 the animals that eat the fruit, the people that eat the fruit. The tree grows and grows stronger and more, um, full of fruit, more full of shade, more full of refreshing and substance for people's lives. Not for its own benefit, for the benefit of everyone around it. And so that's what God wants to do in your life. So if, you th if you're there, ask God to prune you. Exp look for God. Don't get complacent. God's going to prune you anyway. But it's good to have the right heart and say, God, I heard this word. I'm ready for a pruning. My, my house, when the landscaper comes, is because the house needs it. I'm ready, Lord, for a pruning. I need you to clean me up. Cut out all those things that are slowing me down, that are weighing me down, that keep me from blessing the people around me. I want to bless, but I don't. Take, take that away from me that keeps me from being a blessing. So verse 5 talks about if we remain in our, if we stay closely connected to God, we'll bear much fruit. But apart from Him, we can do nothing. Connected to God, we flourish we receive life and we give life. Say that again. 
When we're connected to God, we flourish, we receive life, we give life, just like the branch. When we're disconnected from God, when we're far from God, we exist, we're still there, but we're drying and we're dying. We're not giving anything to anybody, we're not of any use, and pretty soon, not only we can't bless others, we can't bless ourselves, or we can't, not only are we not a source of life to others, but our own life is drying up. So, if the Bible says, abide in me, what does abide mean? I've asked myself, this, I had asked, been asking myself this question for many years. If the Bible says, you need to remain in me, abide in me, or you can do nothing, what does that mean? Well, let's look at verse 10. He says, abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Lord, how do I abide? I don't know what that means. Well, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Well, okay. So if I want to abide, Lord, how do I abide? Verse 10. Keep my commandments. Verse 11. Uh, verse 12. Lord, what does it mean to abide? Keep my commandments. Lord, what commandments? This commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Goes back to the same thing. How do I abide in love? He says, keep my commandments. Okay, Lord, but there's a lot of commandments. All of them? He goes, this commandment, this is my commandment. Meaning, this is my most important commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let me fix that. Let me fix that. The most important commandment is to love God. When we ask God, or when we look into God's word, Lord, how do I love you? He says, how do I show you that I love you? He says, keep my commandments. Okay, Lord, like what? This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. We can break it down and come back to those two principles, which God, because he knows that we can't juggle too many competing ideas, he takes those two commandments and almost makes them one. He allows us to fulfill one by fulfilling the other. You, my son, Show your love for me by loving others the way I've loved you. And that shows you God's heart. That shows you God's heart. God wants you to be loved because he's telling the guy next to you, love that guy. And he wants the guy next to you to be loved because he's telling you, hey, that guy next to you, love him like, do what he, do for him what I did for you. That's how you show me you love me. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Don't worry about anything else. These two things is enough, and you'll be busy the rest of your life. The Bible says the joy of God will fill. You'll have fullness of joy. Pastor likes to say 
the most miserable person on the earth is the person that's focused on themselves. And we see the biblical principles for that in these scriptures we've read. Your joy will be made full when you love me and you lay down your life for your brother. <laughs> when you lay down your life for me, you lay down your life for your brother, you'll be full of joy. Amen. As long as you're worried about yourself, you're going to be a branch that's drying up, drying and dying. So if you feel like you're drying and dying, I guarantee you it's because you've been worried about yourself. You've been focused on yourself. You haven't been focused on God and on God's priority, which is your neighbor. And guess what? God is telling your neighbor to care about you. So he's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to forget you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you struggle with. He knows you have need of these things we read. But he doesn't want you to focus on that because if you focus on that, you won't focus on him. And if everybody's focused on each other, we have what we see in this world. But in this world, in the midst of everything that's going on, the Bible says that there's a city on a hill. The Bible says that there is a lamp that lights the city or lights the house that's put on a table to show the world things don't have to be this way. To show the world this is not God's will. Look at us. We are going to show you the heart of the Father. Not because of our goodness, not because we know any better, but because we serve a good God. That God, the Bible says, we love him because he first loved us. So it's not that we're good. He's been good to us. And out of gratitude, we say, Lord, what do you want? And he says, let your light shine among men that they may see you the way you guys live, that they may see the way you love each other, the way you lay down your life for each other, and they'll glorify God in heaven. Verse 10, keep my commandments. Verse 12, my commandment is love one another if I have loved you. Then we get to verse 13, which we read earlier. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14. You're my friends if you do whatever I command. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master's doing. The master doesn't bear his heart. The master doesn't share with his servant or with his slave. But a friend, I have called you friends. For everything I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Everything I have, I give you, God says. If you will align yourself, the, it says, the, the previous verse says, if you keep my commandments, then you, I call you my friends. If you align yourself with what I'm aligned with, Jesus is aligned with the Father. If you align yourself with the Father, Jesus calls you his friend. And he shows you, he, God wants to share with you his heart. Not to the pastor, to you, my friend. To you. God wants you to know God's, his heartbeat, his priorities. 
So God bears his heart. He shares his plans. Verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. God chose you to share his heart with you. God chose you to bear, to open up his heart. God. Who does a man choose to bear his heart? Who does he share his heart with? His wife and his children. The people closest to him. God chose you and appointed you. So number one, he said, hey, you. I'm picking you. Then he says, I appointed you. Have you ever, guys know about this. I don't know, I don't know what the analogy would be for girls, but if, when, you're, when you play sports, you pick teams. And you first start by saying, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. And you're happy when you get picked. And nobody, nobody wants to be last pick. Because last pick is not really a pick. It, you could just, somebody just threw you on the team because nobody picked you. So nobody wants to be last pick. But when you play a sport, you're chosen. Then you're appointed. All right, you. We got our, t I chose you, you, and you. You've been chosen. Then it says you're appointed. Now you're going to get an assignment. You're going to be quarterback. You're going to be wide receiver. You're going to snap the ball. You've been chosen by God, and you've been appointed. You've been given an assignment that you would bear fruit. God didn't just choose you. God doesn't just love you. God, does, he chose you. He appointed you with a specific assignment that you would bear fruit, that your fruit would be lasting. It says that your fruit would remain. And that whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he may give you. Verse 17, these things, so after he says he chose you to bear fruit, he appointed you to bear fruit, then he said, these things I command, that you love one another. You've been chosen and appointed to love God and to love one another. Pastor. Amen. I always think the I thank the Lord for Pastor Jose Palma's life and his pursuit for God for the last 30 years that I've known him. And this morning, uh, I hope that you understand that while some people come to church and they think that the pastor is or the preacher is the focal point, um, the truth of the matter is that the pastor was appointed to prepare you to send you to the nations. The whole world needs to know about you as a son of God. So this is the place of preparation, is the house of God. This is not a place where you come and spectate once a week for two hours. This is the place where you get prepared to be sent out to show forth his glory. And how uh, in this retreat we did at the Billy Graham Cove this weekend, he says when you open the door for somebody, you're manifesting the love of God in a very small and insignificant way. When you pay for somebody's lunch, you're shedding light on a greater realm. You take somebody home, it's a greater light. When you actually visit somebody and concern yourself for their spiritual 
you continue to expand the light of the gospel. So this is about you. And so I want to invite you that have heard this message. And I know it's a divine appointment. I know it's the day of the Lord. Um, if you're here for the first time or if you still haven't found your assignment in the body of Christ, you know, that, that you're hearing a message like this, how am I to love God with all my heart, with everything I am, and how am I to express that to those people around me? I want you to, we don't have much time, but I want to do this real quickly. If you're here for the first time, if you are a guest, you're not a part of Spring of Life Fellowship, come up forward and stand up here at the altar because we're going to do something that's supernatural. And uh, John, come on, come on up. You're here for the first time, and you still haven't got your assignment. You're not part of Spring of Life. You're our guest. I want you to come forward. Mr. Ezra, I want you to come forward too, sir, and your wife. This is Chantel's father and mom. And um, those of you who haven't had your assignment, you're listening to Pastor Palma's uh, word. You're pretty fairly new at Spring of Life. Come forward. Stand along this side. And I want uh, Pastor Jose Palma in, in a, this signified way, Psalm 37, verse 23. Let's put it up on the board real quick. Listen what it says. It says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. So I believe that God has an assignment for everybody who has heard this message, who still are, verse 23, Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and the Lord delights in his way. Um, come forward. Come on. If you haven't had your assignment, you're fairly new in the body of Christ. And I want you to stand up here. Victor Pava, come on up. Um, uh, because I, I believe that God has these men are men that the world needs to know about. And they need to hit the, the Julio, come on up. Come on up here. Yeah, I don't want to leave anybody behind. Um, if you're a guest at Spring of Life, uh, this is a treat for you. So come up. We're going we're gonna to bless you in the name of the Lord. You didn't come to the house of God for naught. You've come to, uh, the Bible says, to be an arrow to hit the bullseye. Um, the steps of a good man are ordered. Every step that these people that have come up are taking uh, need to be assigned and ordered by the Lord so that God delights in his way. Look what it says in John 13, verse 4. It says, after dinner, Jesus um, took a towel and began to wash the disciples' feet. So I want our pastors, Pastor Kenny, Joey, Go ahead and, and get on Victor Pava and his wife's feet there. Suleika, pray for Fernanda's feet there. Pastor Kenny, you could go ahead and do Ozzy there. Uh, Jenny, where's Jenny? Is Jenny around? She's in the back. All right, she'll come. Uh, Pastor Kenny's wife. And pray for uh, Ozzy and his wife, Olga, um, so that, that you, guys, you guys need to be knowing your assignment and hitting the bullseye. There's significant people upon the earth waiting for you guys to rise up as the sons of God and as the men of God and the women of God on this earth. And then, uh, Pastor Palma, you got Ezra over there and his wife. Uh, I don't know if Ceci's around. She's back there with a... Uh, she might come to the second service here. Jenny, pray for Olga as, as Kenny plays for Ozzy. Get down on the feet, guys. And, and, you know, just like Jesus in John 13, 4... He laid aside his garment, took a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet. I want you to wash their feet in prayer, that they will come into the fulfillment of God's. Pray for their feet, guys. Come on, get down low. Uh, the church is praying also. Pastor Palma praying for Ezra, and Ceci's praying for Ezra's wife there. Um, let me see here. Um, who are we missing here? Do -do -do -do. 
comes to the second service. José, por favor, puedes orar por los pies de Julio, José Luis, el joven que está al final. Pon tu mano sobre sus pies y empieza a orar que sus pies sean dirigidos por el Señor. Now, if you miss this phone, uh, this altar call, you're missing a move of God. So, if you're supposed to be up here, I want you to come up. If this message is for you, that God would lead you on how to love other people and love God. Uh, we're praying for these families. Father, in the name of Jesus, be glorified. Be exalted. Direct the steps of these families into your purposes. Establish them strong with the conviction and the character to serve you. To be rooted and grounded in the purpose of God. As Jesus washed the disciples' feet in verse 14 of John 13, he says, You see what I do? I'm your master and I'm washing your feet. You go and do the same thing. And we believe that right now God is clearing the way from every obstacle, clearing the way from the past, any past offense, any entanglement, any hurt, that these families would come into the purpose of God to serve Jesus Christ without hindrance, that they would not be obstacled, entangled, they would not be burdened and laid He says he washed their feet so they could do the will of the Father. Father, and we glorify your name as we have heard your word. And the church receives and welcomes your word, Lord. That we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. To love God and to love others. There is no other law. There is no other requirement. There is no other theology. There is no other Bible study needed, oh God, that we begin to serve you and serve others, being faithful to your call upon our lives, Lord. And we believe, oh God, that the days that are coming will be days of refreshing, days where we will be able to not only crawl and walk, but run and fly into the purpose of God, unhindered, unaffected, that we would be renewed, restored, that we would be rooted and grounded in Christ. And Father, that these world changers might rise up to their legacy and their inheritance in Jesus Christ. Let's stand up, church. Let's get on our feet and thank the Lord for what he's done today in the house of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A time of refreshing, assignment. You can maybe be seated. And the goodness of God is here with us. Father, we thank you for what you have spoken in the house of God. We thank you, Lord, that it's a day of new beginning. It's a day of strength. It's a day of focus. It's a day to renew our commitment and love for you, God. We lay down our lives. There is no greater love. We have been refreshed by your word and washed. We've been, Father God, strengthened, oh God. And we pray in this week to come that we would be the reflection of your glory upon the earth. That those around us, our neighbors, might see something different emanating from our hearts and our lives. As we grow intimate in your presence, we also manifest the evidence and the proof that we are your disciples as we love one another, oh God. And we bless you in the house of God and we declare, Father God, that you've called us to be world changers. Those that are making the difference. Those that are the answer in a world full of problems and chaos and questions, oh God. That your wellspring of life will continue to flow out through our hearts and our words and our thoughts and our actions. To all those that are around us, we bless you in the name of Jesus and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. We thank the Lord.